0: John chapter two, we are reading verses 12 to 22, 12 to 22. I'll read that and then we will get into the word of God. John two, verse 12. All right, it says this, after this, which he just turned a bunch of water into 900 bottles worth of wine. After that, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords... He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. That's God's word, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word that you speak. God, I ask that we would be like your disciples, that we would believe the things we read here, that we would see Jesus tonight. God, I just, I just confess that I need you, Lord, that, that we together, we need you. Lord, I ask that your spirit would come and would bless us and minister to us and would show us Jesus. Lord, we just need you right now. We ask that this would be a holy moment where the the God of the universe is speaking to us through his word. God, give us faith, Holy Spirit. You have free reign. You are allowed to speak. uh, Anything you want, Lord, we are yours. We are submitted to you in your word. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, to be human is to be like deeply affected by your environment, okay, like your surroundings, like your physical space. Um, most of us have some kind of like sacred space. If you don't like that language, you could call it your happy place. Like we have that. We all have our happy place, right? It could be out in nature. It could just be like alone. It could be with like all your friends. It could be sitting around a table with like candles and music. You could be just like cozy on the couch, like reading a book or watching a movie, For me, I have discovered it's uh, my happy place is in nature camping with my wife. That's just where I'm happy. Um, and a couple years ago, my wife and I were camping in Zion, Zion National Park. If you guys have ever been there, it's awesome. And it's actually not that far. You can get there pretty quick. Um, there's like red cliffs. It's like, if you've been to Yosemite, it's like just red, a red version of Yosemite, just mountains in red. There's like a river running right next to our campsite. And like, you know, you're just looking at the stars and you're eating good food after you've been hiking all day, like your fire's crackling. And like, that is my, that is my space, like that is where that's my sacred space. And then about a night or so into our trip, like a crew showed up, like a large, large, multiple families crammed into like two camping sites. They should have been in like 10 sites. And they literally set up like a kingdom. They set up like just lights and music. And they were like, and like, you guys, that was like my happy place just ruined and I was grumpy like the whole time and I'm just sitting there just listening to this music listening to people kids running around I was just I did I was like so angry I was like why are you ruining my happy space and uh you know that's something that happens and here's here's what is true from the beginning of time God has been creating like sacred spaces holy spaces where he could like be with his people That's something God has been doing from the very beginning. You guys remember the Garden of Eden, right? It said that they they could just walk with God in the cool of the day. I don't even really know what that means and was God a human? Was it Jesus incarnate? Like we don't know, but... It was this space where there was no sin and there wasn't thorns and you could just walk around in the cool of the day with the Lord. And then remember when he, he came to Moses, Moses was just out in the wilderness and this burning bush happened. And God was like, hey, take off your shoes because this ground, this space right here is holy because I'm here. This is the holy ground. And then remember in the wilderness with all of Israel and they were just out in the middle of nowhere and God created this thing. He set up this thing called the tabernacle. And he was like this is because i want to be with my people i want there to be this holy space where people can come and be with me because god loves being with his people he loves being with you he loves being with his creation and he goes to great extents to make that sacred space now in our story tonight jesus gets passionate about preserving and protecting some sacred space, okay? He's like me at Zion times, like a he actually went and did something about it. He's like, no, this is wrong. This is sacred space. And so just to get like our bearings of the story, verse 12 and 13 says, after this, which again, he just turned water to wine. It was his first miracle. He uh, went down to Capernaum with his family and disciples. They stayed there for a few days. And then it says, verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, so here's like the setting. He just turned water into wine. They just go to Jerusalem and it's Passover. And now I just, because you guys are smart, I wanna give you a quick little technical problem here. Uh, The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mention Jesus uh, clearing the temple at like the last one of the last things he did, the last week of his life. So, if you read Matthew or Mark or Luke, you're like, does, Doesn't Jesus do that right before he goes to the cross? And then in John, it's like days after his first miracle, right? So, you're like, Hmm, what does this mean? Some people even argue, Well, John's an idiot and he just forgot and he got it wrong. Some people say that. Some people say, uh, John intentionally takes the time, like, he just is intentionally mistelling the story because he wants like it to be about like purifying water and purifying the temple. Um, but I just want you guys to know I don't think John is dumb. I think he's intelligent. I think when he said a few days later he meant it. And I think that this is something Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry. And then when you read of Jesus clearing the temple in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's something he did at the end of his ministry. So this is actually Jesus cleansed the temple twice. And John's intentional to be like, hey, it was a few days after his first miracle. This is something Jesus did. So sometimes John covers things Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't cover. Matthew, Mark, and Luke sometimes cover things Jesus or John doesn't cover. But here's the point. This is the word of God and it's true and it's not wrong. And so sometimes you find like problems or troubles in, in the Bible. You're like, what does that mean? Like, just know God is smart and he's, there's probably an answer. And people may tell you, hey, look, the Bible just it, like proves itself wrong. You can't believe it just dig a little deeper, there are answers to that question. I just would simply say, hey, Jesus cleared the temple twice. Is that that like a crazy thought? No, Jesus, he did it once, he could do it twice. So anyways, quick technical issue, if any of you guys are like into that stuff. Uh, Anyways, okay, unpause. Back to Passover, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Okay, Passover, it was like Jewish Christmas, it was like a big deal. It was like what you look forward to all year. It was remembering when God took you out of slavery and it's something that's celebrated every single year. People would leave, they would travel from wherever they lived, hundreds of miles without vehicles to go to Jerusalem to make the Passover sacrifice. You guys remember Passover the firstborn son would die. But if you kill the lamb, put the blood of the lamb over your house, God's wrath would pass over you and you would be spared. And so every year they would have this holiday. They wouldn't decorate a tree. They would kill an animal and they put blood and they'd remember, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for sparing us. Thank you, Yahweh, that you said, if you were covered in the blood of the lamb, I will pass over you. And so that is what's happening right now. And people are going to Jerusalem. So I even know some of you guys have been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a relatively small town. It's not a large town. And the population would swell like, by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. So just picture a small town. Like, picture Santa Barbara and just another couple, there's 100,000 people there. Picture just a couple million more entering Santa Barbara and everyone's trying to get to the same place. Like Everyone's trying to get to like the City College Stadium. Just picture that. Picture millions of people in that small little town trying to get there. And so that's what's going on right now. And Jesus joins the crowd. And in verse 14, it says this, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Okay, so you're like, why are there people selling stuff here at the temple? Well, if you're gonna make a sacrifice and you lived 80 miles away and you had to travel there on foot, Probably wouldn't be convenient to like bring some cows and some lambs with you if you could just buy them in Jerusalem. So that is what people would do. They would travel and then conveniently there would be animals there for you and money changers if you had a different currency. And so that is why this is going on. Now, Jesus shows up. Now picture you're like a disciple. You're like, oh yeah, this is fun. It's like the holiday and everyone's there and there's just people everywhere. And you're in the temple and you're looking around at everything. You've probably done this your whole life. And out of nowhere, Jesus just snaps. Just picture this. Honestly, try and imagine. You're walking with Jesus and he, he looks at a guy's table and there's some like leather there. And he just grabs some leather straps, doesn't pay for it. He starts twisting around like, Jesus, what are you doing? And then he just starts whipping stuff. He, this is a true story. And verse 15 says, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. Do you know who the them are? It's people. Jesus starts whipping or at the very least severely threatening you with a whip and he's driving people through the temple. Picture this, just picture sheep like freaking out, bleeding, just screaming, running, knocking over stuff. There's pigeons flying around, things are people are for sure getting pooped on. There's oxen running. You guys, there are oxen running. Have you ever seen an oxen? Do you know what an ox is? It's a huge animal and they're running inside like a building. There's just, it's Utter chaos, and it's Jesus doing it, and he's just going to tables, flipping it, whipping people, whipping things. He takes money, and he just dumps it out. There's money everywhere. There are for sure poor people, like, stoked, jumping on the ground, getting the coins. It is utter chaos. This is a true story, and Jesus is going nuts, okay? Now, this is helpful. Let's pause for a moment and remember this. Jesus is a lamb and Jesus is a lion. He is both. And God, the Father, who we love with the Father's love, is also the Almighty God. God is full of grace, and he's full of wrath against wickedness. And we have to take the whole Bible as it is. The, the story right before this, it's like, if you were here last week, it was just encouraging. Hey, Jesus gives you joy. He makes a lot of wine. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is awesome. The very next story, Jesus is whipping people and driving people out of a temple. The same man. Jesus is a lion and a lamb. And we cannot pick and choose the parts of Jesus or the parts of God that we like and say, I don't really like that. Or My, the God I know wouldn't really do that. Do you know what that's called? That's making a God in your own image. That is you saying, I am the judge and God would never do Listen, we know who God is like and what he does by reading his word, all of it start to finish. The story when Jesus makes a party and 900 bottles of wine and then the story where he's whipping people and we have to let God speak for himself and show us who he is like. And just a quick, you know, before we move on, are you willing to worship God for who he is? All of who he is. Or do you want to make a God in your own image? Do you want to take the the things that you don't really like in this book and say, I don't know if God really said that. The God I know wouldn't really say that. Oh, if you really study the text, it doesn't say that. Are you willing to worship a God who is even gonna offend you? Are you willing to trust a God who says things that you don't like? Are you willing to take Jesus as the lion and the lamb? Now, here's what we're gonna do as we kind of look at this story. We're gonna look deeper at what was the problem here? Why was Jesus so angry? Why is he whipping people? And then as we look at like what was going on here, we're gonna invite Jesus to do the same thing to us and confront and even drive out many ways that maybe we're off in how we worship and think about the Lord. And we're gonna say, Jesus, we wanna study what you did then. And we want to invite you to clear out maybe some of our own religious nonsense that we're prone to. So here's what we're gonna do. Number one, the first thing we know for sure Jesus is confronting in this story is distracted worship, distracted worship. Look at verse 16. He said to those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. People were selling stuff in God's house. Like picture if people were just in your house selling things, like what do you, You have to do it in my house? Could you do it in my yard? They were selling things in God's house. Picture tonight, you come in and maybe it's during worship and you're like bowing on the carpets or you're just sitting with your head bowed or you're just crying out to the Lord and a sheep starts chewing on your clothes. Like imagine that happening. That is what was happening. You're trying to seek the Lord and the sounds and smells of farm animals are just overwhelming you. Like imagine trying to worship God and a cow is pooping right over there. That is what was going on. And then you're like, okay, just trying, I'm trying to worship you, God. And then you hear people start arguing and haggling about an exchange rate and coins are dropping. You're like, I cannot worship the Lord right now. Jesus cares very much that God is worshiped. And he cares deeply that people are not hindered in their worship to God. He has deep respect for what he calls my father's house. There's a Psalm, Psalm 84, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And so Jesus is offended at a cavalier attitude towards worship. He's offended at like, oh yeah, this is it's just this casual, distracted, noisy thing. He says, I care that God, my God, my father is worshiped rightly and that it's not hindered by distractions and disrespect. And so I wanna say, you know, okay, Jesus, what does that mean for us? Um, even practically, like in our corporate gathering, there's, there's something really important to creating like an environment that sets distractions aside. Um, you didn't know this, and I've actually never explained it, but there's a reason why we have the lights off when you come in. Um, And it's why we have worship music going and whatnot. And I even want to just ask you, and I would love for us to create a culture here on Friday nights where like, this room is a place of like peace and quiet. Because I don't know about you, but my weeks are long and my heart is heavy and I have so many thoughts in my mind and I need to be still before the Lord. And we just want to create a space here, like a sacred space a culture where it's like, hey, if you want coffee, if you want to say out of friends, you want to give someone a hug and catch up by the great glory to God, go do that. Just don't do it in here, do it in the foyer because this room is a place where we can just come and be still before the Lord. A.W. Tozer, a pastor from the last century, hopefully you guys have heard of him. Um, he, he had a lot to say about this like casual attitude towards worship of God. He says this, with, the, with our loss of the sense of majesty, has come the further loss of religious awe and conscientiousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the quiet life in the spirit. The words be still and know that I am God mean next to nothing, to the self-confident self-confident bustling worshipper. There's something about like being still and quiet before the Lord. And that's like the worship gathering thing but also like we are called to commune with the Lord every day. Like like you will not make it if you go Friday to Friday Sunday to Sunday. Like you need to be with the Lord every day. The Lord is passionate about having space where you are with him and you're quiet with him. So What are like practical things? Honestly, our phones are so distracting. I will testify to it. It is just this thing that is like screaming at my face as I'm trying to be with the Lord. It's just screaming, screaming, screaming. Like our phones, like it just distracts us. And then if you're like me, I think about all the things I have to do that day and my work and my responsibilities are distracting me. And then we probably have meetings with people and we're like, I haven't been with the Lord, but like I don't wanna let these people down. And so I'm gonna put people before my time with the Lord. And then of course, our sin, our regular times of saying no to the Lord and, and being in sin, it affects our communion, our, our time, our intimacy with the Lord. And I think, you, you know, I think about what would Jesus do if he came in and saw me for the first hour of my day? Like, what would he drive out? What would he flip over? What would he say, this is wrong? This is, for, this is time for the Lord. And another piece to that is, I think it's a lot easier to be busy doing things for the Lord than to be still and be with the Lord. Now we're not supposed to like not serve the Lord, but it's a lot harder to like be still before Jesus. And it's a lot more fun when people like see you doing stuff and you're known for doing stuff. And there's this awesome little phrase I love. It says, ministry should flow from intimacy. Your ministry and your service should always be this overflow because like I've been filled with Jesus. And quick testimony for me, I talk about Starbucks often. When I graduated college, I worked at a coffee shop for three years and I, I felt called to do ministry and I wanted to go to seminary. And the Lord had to teach me for three years, hey, am I enough for you? And is it enough for you to like, just be with me for today? Yeah, Lord, but like I have, oh Lord, I would just kill it. The kingdom would come if you just released me. And he was like, no, you just need to be with me because I love you more than what you do for me. And I want what you do for me to be this overflow because you're like, man, I spent so much time with Jesus and I'm so in love with Jesus and I love his ways. And so how can I serve him? And, and Jesus had to teach me for three years hey, I care more about your walk with me and your quietness with me and your worship for me than what you can do for me. Jesus is like, learn to love me first. Learn to love my word when you don't get to teach it. Like, can you, do, you, do you still like reading it? Do you love my presence? Is that enough for you? And so Jesus is confronting distracted worship. Another thing Jesus is confronting is what we could call distorted worship. He says, uh, again, do not make my father's house a house of trade. That's not what this place is. It's not for a house of trade. There's nothing wrong with trading. That's just not what worship is. That's not what should be going on in the context of worship. Now listen, humans, we have always been tempted to take worship and the presence of God and a relationship with God and distort it and use it for our own twisted ends. That's just some creepy thing we do we like taking, we're like, no, I don't want to be anti-God. I just want to use my relationship with God and my worship with God and my service for God. And I want to like take it and make it about something else that's not the Lord. We just do this weird, twisted thing with worship. Like, and this is all of us, who hasn't thought when you're worshiping the Lord with your hands raised, you're like, somebody's noticing my hands are raised right now. Somebody's noticing how good my voice sounds, or somebody noticed how bad my voice sounds, and so I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to worship God because I care about what other people think. Like, we have such a gift at twisting worship and making it about other things and about us. Now, it wasn't wrong for these guys to be, like, providing animals for sacrifices for worship. Like, The worship couldn't have happened without them being there. That's fine. But we know that they had a monopoly on it and they would grossly overcharge it, and Jesus would later refer to it as a den of robbers. And you know what's worse than them simply ripping people off? Do you know what's worse about it? It's not only that they were trading, but that they were trading and covering it in a religious cloak, saying, Look what we're doing for the Lord. That's what was twisted. They they had to do a necessary thing, but then they just covered it with like, look how we're serving the Lord and the Lord's people. What was really greed was portrayed as look how helpful we are. What was distracting people from the presence of God, they're like, man, look at how we're bringing people into the presence of God. And this is something Jesus gets angry about. Uh, One word for it is often referred to as just religion. Maybe you could call it religious hypocrisy. the the form, the external appearance of love for God, but that's all that it is. It's just the external, yeah, it looks good. Because inside there's a shell and there's no real love for the Lord. Jesus hates that, it's twisted. It's doing all the right actions and saying all the right words and having a dead heart that doesn't love God. When your religious activity doesn't flow from your heart and your love for Jesus, it's twisted. It's distorted, and God says, I don't want it. In the Old Testament, he says, I hate it. I hate your sacrifices. When we do the right thing for God, but our heart is far from him, Jesus says, I want nothing to do with it. Do you know what that's like? It's like a beautiful white tomb, and it looks nice, and it's full of dead men's bones. That's religion. That's when we do the right things for Jesus. When we don't really love him, and what's even worse about when we do this religious stuff is it's, it's taking God's glory, what should be for his glory, and we use it for our glory. We use it so that we can look good, so that we can worship God for our status. Like how crazy is that, that I could worship God for my glory, for my name, that I could serve Jesus for me and my name to be known. It's going to church so I can be seen by other people. It's serving the poor so that people would notice, wow, you are awesome. And Jesus hates distorted worship. Again, I have so many uh, stories, and there was a long season of my life where I lived into this. Um, I'll be really brief. When I was a freshman at Westmont, there weren't like homeless people where I came from, or I never noticed them. And then I went to State Street, and I was like, oh, wow, look at all these homeless people, and... Um, and so I like started giving homeless people stuff and like started this homeless ministry and we would do like barbecues and like all this stuff. And listen, I didn't love homeless people. I loved the attention I got for serving homeless people. And, and you know what else? I would go home on a Friday night and I would, I would go to the dorm and I would look at everybody watching TV and I'd be like, you guys, are, I'm just disgusted. I am so holy and you are just selfish. I just gave everything away. That's wickedness. But I was like, man, I'm awesome. Then my sophomore year, I led this worship ministry and I found all my identity and my worth in that ministry. It wasn't for the Lord, it was for me. And then my junior year, I was this RA and I was like, oh, I'm such a good RA and everybody knows me. And then my senior year, I directed this Mexico ministry and I was like, oh, I'm the director. I hardly speak Spanish and I'm the director and I'm like, awesome. And it was just twisted and it was about me and it was for my glory because I wanted to look good on the outside and inside I was hollow and empty, and I did not love the Lord. And in fact, I even hated him more because I was tired. I was tired of doing stuff for him when I didn't love him. It's exhausting. I was like, this is annoying. And I would even look at other people like eating, drinking, and be merry, and I'm like, man, that looks more fun than what I'm doing because I don't even like this. But I mean, I guess at least people think I'm cool. And Jesus says, I don't want that. I want your heart to be right before me. I want your worship to flow from this love for me. And and so Jesus says, "I I want your heart. I want you to be spending time with me before. And I want you to have it straight that I love you, not because you do awesome stuff. In fact, you do bad stuff. In fact, even all your best stuff is like worthless when you try to justify yourself. And he says, I love you in spite of yourself and in spite of your sin. And I love you by proving that I've, that by sending my son and dying for your sin, that's why I love you, just simply because I love you. You didn't earn it, it was grace. And get that straight before you start being busy about serving the Lord. And listen, when you know that Jesus loves you and you love being with the Lord and you just abide in that place, fruit will come. Your heart will be different. When you see Someone on the street, the Holy Spirit and the love for God in you will do something. You can't help but do something. You can't be a mom, I'm thinking about moms right now because my wife's about to have a baby, and just see your baby on the ground crying, I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. Like, that's crazy. You're a mom. That's you're just in you. You can't, like, look at the world and see problems and be like, ah, bummer. Like, you have the love of God in you because you were with Him all day and you're like, man, I love, I have God's love for the world. That is how fruit flows. And so, that's one aspect of distorted worship, just religion. And here's another aspect of distorted worship. And this is what these guys are doing it's worship on our own terms. Okay, it's worship on our own terms. Like they just assumed, hey, we're gonna set up in the court of the Gentiles where some people can only be with the Lord and this is what we're gonna do. And we're gonna help them worship God. And they could say, Jesus, what are you doing? This is for God. We're like, this is, we're providing worship right here. Why are you so mad at us? But Jesus is saying, worship is not done on your own terms and for your own convenience. Worship is to be done how God says it's to be done. Jesus cares about how you worship him because he's the one to be worshiped. And so here's a couple quick ways I think we worship on our own terms. Number one, we worship without a family. And here's what I mean. You were designed to be a member of the body of Christ, like known, like invested, like not a a like, I, I go receive and then I do what I want. And you weren't designed to like hodgepodge together sermons and podcasts and be like, oh, I love being with the Lord, but I'm not gonna go serve and I'm not gonna be known and I'm not gonna go sit by an old person or a young person or I don't like when they lead worship. You were designed to worship as a part of the body of Christ. And it's really tempting at this age because it's like, I moved here. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I'll just try and pick and choose all the best things from what's around me, but like never really be known. And I just have to say, my greatest regret in college is not like getting plugged into a church. And and I bounced around and like the moment by God's grace, I plugged in like, <clears throat> I'm not really gonna cry. I'm just choking. <laughs> the moment I got plugged in, I grew like a hundred times faster because people knew me and I was serving and they knew my gifts and I was there if it was good or if it wasn't good, it was my family. And we're just, this is hard for us as, millennials and is like, we don't like committing and we like taking all the good. And do you know, C.S. Lewis talked about that. He said, do you know what it's like when you do that? It's like going into this beautiful home with all these people and you live in the hallway, who lives in a hallway? And you're like, well, I don't want to pick a room because, you know, if I'm like sitting by the fireplace at this conversation, I don't know what's going on at the dinner table, so I want to be able to run over there. And then, oh man, that looks really fun in the kitchen right now. What are they making? So I'm going to run over there. And if you spent your whole night at a party trying to get the best highlights of every conversation, you would not get any good conversation at all. You would miss out. And people are like, why are you, why are you interrupting? And now you're gone. And okay. And, and so like he's saying, listen, you got to pick a room. You gotta pick a room and be there, and that's your room. And that is where all the goodness comes. And listen, if you pick the kitchen, it's gonna be good, and you will inherently not be in the family room. That's just part of life. You can't like be at every place at the same time, but you will miss out if you don't pick the kitchen. Or you're like, man, I like the family room. This is me. This is how, who I'm called to be, and this is where I fit. That's awesome. Be in the family room. You're gonna get a lot of goodness there. But yeah, you're gonna miss out on what's going on in the dining room and what's going on in the backyard. Jesus is saying... You need to worship rightly. And for us, that means we need to worship in a family. Like I am committed. I am a committed, faithful member, contributor to the body of Christ. I am known and people know me and I use my gifts and I serve and I'm all in. We aren't uh, honestly allowed to worship how we want. We need to be in. I think another way we worship on our own terms is uh, when it comes to emotions. And here's, here's what I, I mean about this. Now, emotions a tricky subject when it comes to worship because even in this story, it says, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was emotional. Jesus got emotional. And emotions are good and they are right. They are a gift from the Lord. We are commanded to be joyful in the Lord. Emotions matter. They are a gift from God. But here's the thing, we can't take emotion and make it like the foundation of our worship. It can't be the foundation, because we all know, unless you're just, by the grace of God, given the best personality ever, your emotion's like, do this, and you're having a bad day, and you're grumpy, and then you're really happy, and if this is your foundation for your walk with the Lord, it it will feel like that. That's not the foundation. Emotions are this amazing gift and byproduct of a relationship with God. I saw this... I'm quoting Twitter right now. I didn't know this is a thing. Listen, Tim Keller said on Twitter, desire not emotion to feel God, but desire God. And you might feel his presence. Man, are you worshiping your emotions or only when your emotions are right? Or are you worshiping God? And maybe he'll bless you with his presence. And maybe it's gonna be one of those days and you're like, David, like, why have you forsaken me? And that was a bad worship service, but I'm worshiping God. Are you, are you basing your walk with Jesus on how you feel? Don't do it. And that's not to say emotions don't matter. And it's not to say be mad at joyful people when they're like stoked on the Lord. It's just to say emotions are all over the place. And we are to have zeal, emotion, according to knowledge. That's, that's one way uh, the, the, these... Jews were criticized by Paul. It's, they had zeal for God, but they didn't know what they're talking about. We need to have zeal, emotion, according to knowledge, according to truth, saying, man, I'm gonna worship God, and he is good, and he is faithful, and even it was a really hard week, and I'm gonna worship him. And it's, man, it's really cool because I will testify seven out of 10 times when I do that, the Lord blesses me with, he blesses my emotions. I'm like, man, my heart turns. Sometimes he doesn't. But most of the times when I seek the Lord, He does refresh me emotionally, my heart, to worship the Lord with all of your heart. He does, even though it's fickle. And so seek the Lord and worship the Lord, regardless of where your heart is at and regardless of where your feelings are. And that's like the quickest path to joy is just to fix your eyes on the Lord. Fix your eyes on the Lord, and joy will come. Now, I think those are some of the ways we are like these people. And I just wanna close at looking at two quick qualities of Jesus the lion that we see in this text. Um, And it's this, and it's really related. The first thing that we see about Jesus is he confronts and offends religious hypocrisy. He He pursues it and he just wants to drive it out. He hates religious hypocrisy. And he had, I mean, crazy courage to do this. Think about this. There were like Roman soldiers. He could have been arrested. And he says, I don't care what people think. I hate this and it is wrong. And Jesus was willing to, to like offend a twisted system and offend twisted people because he loved God more than people. And he said, I'm confronting this. This is wrong. This is wicked. And it's true for us. If you follow Jesus You have to be willing to fight twisted religion in your own heart and in the world. You guys, there is false religion in the world. And I'm talking about like false Christianity. Like it looks like it's the the real thing. And it's like, oh, look what we're doing for the Lord. And you guys, I'll say this with a broken heart. There are entire schools and businesses and ministries about everything else but God's glory. They exist. You can find them. You can find many sermons by famous people, and it has nothing to do with the glory of God. It has everything to do with man and man's glory. Paul talked about it, they just tickle people's ears. That exists, and you could find it. Go to iTunes, it will be like in the top 10. It is there. And listen, some of you have professors that teach this stuff, you do. You have professors that teach something that does not honor the Lord and the word of God. And do you know what Jesus says? I don't care if these people are mad at me and I don't care if they're offended. I have zeal for the glory of God and I will call that out. That is not okay. That is actually Christ-like to have concern and zeal for the truth and glory and right worship of Jesus. And then the second thing we see about the lion who is Jesus, and this is awesome, is Jesus is passionate about removing barriers that are between God and man. He's passionate about removing barriers. Like he will be a lion towards anything that is getting between people and him. Because remember, from the beginning, God has been doing that. He's been pursuing people and wanting them to be in his presence. And God's house here, the temple, was where the presence of God was. And Jesus says, this is wrong and I'm going to fight it. I'm going to offend people because I want people to be in God's presence. And do you know where else we see Jesus doing this? In John 1, 1, where it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is so passionate about removing barriers between you and himself that he literally became a human being to be with us and make a way for us to be with God. And at the time of his early ministry, he's like, this is wrong, this is a barrier, I'm going after it. And this, was his, it was his passion. I'm gonna go after, like a lion, barriers between God and man. And it literally led to his death. This is why he died. And he knew, man, a few years later, I'm going back to Jerusalem and I'm gonna end my life on a cross and I'm gonna break down the most significant barrier between God and man. It's their sin and God's holiness. And when he said to them in verse 19, destroy this temple and I, in three days, I will raise it up. He's like, watch what's gonna happen when I die. And when he died, the, the veil in the temple tore because Jesus is like, I'm removing barriers because I wanna be with people, even sinners, and I will take their sin, all of their sin. I will take the punishment because God is so holy and that's a, such a good characteristic of God. He's so holy and Jesus says, I will take all all of the punishment they deserve for their sin. That way they could be with me and I could be with them. And then do you know what Jesus did? He sent his spirit to be with us and in us. And he calls you the temple of God. And do you know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? He's just like Jesus. He's going after walls that you put up between God and him. He's going after them passionately. And he's coming after your distractions and he's coming after your false expectations. He's coming after your false worship and he will drive it away out of love for you because that is what the spirit of God always does. And he's coming after your sin because he wants you to be with him and be fellowshipping with him. And so when God confronts your sin, Don't be like, why do you gotta do that, God? Why do you gotta make me feel bad? He's like, I love you, and this is a a wall between me and you. And you know what else? There's coming a day when there will be no more barriers between God and man, and you will see him in the flesh, and he will judge the living and the dead, and he will make a new earth, just like the Garden of Eden, and you will literally see him and walk with him forever in his presence, because Jesus is passionate about being with you and removing boundaries and barriers and walls that you put up and that we put up as a culture against him. And Jesus says, I love you. And I wanna get rid of this because I want to be with you. So here's what we're gonna do for worship. Know this, right now, Jesus is pursuing you. Right now, Jesus, like your heart is like a little temple. And there, all of us have things that shouldn't be in there. And he's like, I'm coming after those things. I'm pursuing you right now. If it's sin, listen, repent. Why would you hide that? Repent, be free. We're gonna have a prayer team. You're gonna have friends, people. Even if it's somebody random next to you, I'm sure they're not gonna be like, sorry, I'm not praying for you. Like, confess your sin. Confess it, it's not a dirty thing to do. It's like the best thing to restore fellowship and intimacy with the Lord. Some of you guys aren't even saved and you don't even know what it is to be with the Lord. If you confess your sin and trust in Jesus, like you have a new heart and new life forever. Like that's offered to you right now. Jesus is pursuing you saying, come to me. And so let's let's like let him in. He's like knocking at the door saying, I wanna be with you. What needs to go, what needs to be confessed? I wanna be with you. And man, if you're just killing it and you're just like, I love Jesus, I love being with Jesus, listen, then just enjoy his presence right now. Seek him back. He says, Those who seek me will find me. Let's like enjoy the presence of God. We were made to be in the presence of God, and God has been pursuing us from the beginning. And so let's like, the Bible says, taste and see. Let's like feast on the presence of God right now because he is here and he is with us. Let's do that. Let's take God up on the offer of like taste and see. Come, taste and see. So Jesus, right now we say, you have every right, you are king of kings to come into this room, into our hearts, into our lives, to get into our business and to overturn tables, Lord, and to expose whatever that we could be with you and enjoy you and enjoy your presence and enjoy a restored fellowship with you, Lord. Lord, we stumble and I know what it's like when we, Make foolish decisions, Lord, and our intimacy with you gets off. And and I just thank you, Jesus, that you mercifully say, I love you. And I went to the cross for that. Come to me, receive my forgiveness. I love you. I wanna be with you. Spirit, we just say, please come and move. I thank you that you just, you, you pursue, Lord. You weren't invited into that temple and they didn't say, hey, go ahead and turn all these tables over. Like you did that. That's what you do, Lord. You pursue so please, Lord, please come and pursue, even, even those who are running from you right now, even those who are stubborn, you are stronger, Jesus. And I ask that you would overturn tables, that you would be worshiped rightly, that the, we would experience the joy in your presence tonight. Jesus, you are the lion. And we say, we worship you, have your way. And thank you that you are also the lamb who laid down your life for people like us, that we could worship you, Lord.